Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Praise God. Psalm 23, if you would please. Psalm 23, the 23rd Psalm. We're talking about getting out of that bad mood. And this is lesson two. And I think we'll conclude the teachings about our emotional feelings and how to control them. We haven't exhausted everything, but we're just going to quit. If that's okay with you. Unless the Lord says to continue any further. But we've been talking about the need for all of us to control, manage, and deal with our emotional feelings and not give them free reign over our lives. Because if they have free reign over our lives, they'll lead us down a destructive path. And we don't want that. They'll cause us to bring reproach to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the gospel of our Lord. And also, they'll prevent us from entering into the promises of God. We don't want to stay outside and looking in, do we? We want to enjoy and experience all the blessings of God in our lives. That's why Jesus suffered and died, so that we can enjoy the blessings. Well, we had talked about David and how David was at a very low point in his life last Sunday morning. As a matter of fact, he was so low, I don't know that you can get any lower than what David was. He was low. And as a result of his being so stressed out and emotional, he was so depressed, the Bible says, that he cried until he could cry no more. I believe he was dehydrated. We've heard of people becoming dehydrated because of an illness or something like that, lack of water. But can you imagine crying your eyes out to the point or to the place where you're dehydrated and there's not even another tear that you can muster up? Well, it's not wrong, we said, for us to feel bad or feel depressed or feel emotional feelings of that nature. It's wrong to stay there. It's wrong to allow them to control us. It's wrong to allow them to dictate to our lives, to our actions and to the things that we do. God's not opposed to us feeling bad. He's opposed to us staying that way and being under their control. Well, we talked about how David got himself out of that dilemma. And he did two things to get himself out of that dilemma. What he did was, number one, he encouraged himself in the Lord. And beloved, I believe that's a lost art. We need to once again develop that lost art of encouraging ourselves in the Lord. And not just relying on somebody else to do it. I mean, thank God for others that can help us to do it along the way. But you know what? There'll be a time when you're alone with God. As a matter of fact, let's put it this way. We shouldn't have to have somebody else to do it. Thank God if they're there to help us. But we should learn how to rely on God for ourselves and encourage ourselves in the Lord. Oftentimes he would say, bless the Lord, O my soul. So why are you fallen and cast down? Bless the Lord, O my soul. He would speak to his soul. He would tell himself in all the energies of his being, why are you acting like that way? Why am I feeling this way? Confront those emotional feelings. Confront them. They're real. They're genuine. But, you know, they may be reality as far as being a part of us, but they're not the highest form of truth. And so we've got to go beyond the emotional feelings and get into the heart of things to where the spirit of man has been recreated by the life of God. We have the divine nature of God on the inside of us. And we want to give that place in our lives. And we want to draw from our spiritual strength, which is much stronger than our emotional strength. 
And that's what David did. The second thing he did was he ran to God, not from God. You know, when things don't go right in people's lives, they have a tendency to run from God and not run to God. They blame God thinking that God is the one who instigated all the problems, but he's not. David knew it was the enemy and it was not God. He was anointed to be king, but the only thing he was king of was king of the cave. Not Israel. Wasn't living in the palace. And at that, the cave was all burned up. And so there he was. He didn't blame God. The devil could have had a field day with his mind, couldn't he have? And so David ran to God, inquired of the Lord, and the Lord gave him insight, instruction, and direction. And you know what? David recovered everything. Everything he recovered. Isn't that wonderful news? That's good news, isn't it? Because if David could recover it all, so can we. Because we have a better covenant and better promises. Now, we want to look at someone else here in just a moment. But first of all, I just want us to, to talk about this 23rd Psalm just for a moment. Because this is the place that God wants us all to be. How did David get to this place? He encouraged himself in the Lord. How did he encourage himself in the Lord? He had a proper view of his God. I'll tell you what, he had a strong sense of God's love for him. He had a strong sense of God's care for him. He had a strong sense of God's provision for him. And he knew that God was on his side. He knew that God would care for him in every situation that God would bring him out. And look, this 23rd Psalm is a revelation given to all of us about the loving care of our Heavenly Father. And just as a father loves his children, the Father God loves his. And just as a shepherd is totally committed and sold out to the sheep, so the Heavenly Father is committed to his children and sold out to his children. And he says right here, see, this is David encouraging himself. This psalm right here, a psalm of David. The Lord is. Everybody say, the Lord is. Notice, not any man. David was a shepherd. He knew about shepherding. Remember Abel? He was the keeper of the sheep. And there were others that were keepers of the sheep. Other shepherds that we can mention in the Bible. But you know what? It's not any man that's your shepherd. It is the Lord. It is the Lord God Almighty that made heaven and earth and seen all that in them is. It is the master designer of all the universe who is yours. Your shepherd. See, the Lord is, Jehovah God is, Yahweh is, the great I am, He is. The Al Shaddai of all the universe is. The Lord is, now notice the next word, my. Everybody say my. That denotes relationship. It's my car. It's my keys. It's my wife. It's my husband. It's my child. And we can go on. It identifies a relationship between you and whatever, whatever it is that is yours. And he's saying here, the Lord that made the heaven and earth and sea, he is mine. He's mine. He belongs to me. There's a relationship here that I have with the Lord that made all things. He is my what? He is my shepherd. Hallelujah. The very fact that he, uh, he really shows that God is a shepherd of the sheep. Remember, David understood shepherding. If you want anybody to be your shepherd, it would be David. Why? Because David, when he was a 
shepherd of his father's sheep, he had a loving concern for those sheep. He had a commitment made to those sheep. He cared about those sheep. He was not like a hireling that somebody paid to watch over the sheep because a hireling is somebody that you hire and pay to watch the sheep who has no interest in the sheep whatsoever. He's not concerned about their welfare. He's not concerned about their well-being. He's not concerned about whether they live or whether they die or whether they're comfortable or not. He is only concerned about the paycheck that he gets at the end of the week for watching the sheep. And so when the wolves come in to destroy the sheep, you know what? The hireling flees for safety to protect himself. But that's not how Jesus is. That's not how Jehovah is. David was a good shepherd of the sheep. He understood shepherding. And you know what? When the, when the lion came to get a hold of the sheep, he pursued the lion and he killed the lion. He slayed the lion because he had a concern and loving care for the sheep. When the bear came, he didn't run and hide. He had an interest in those sheep. He was committed to those sheep and he tore off after the bear. He destroyed the bear to save the sheep. Now that's the kind of shepherd you want, amen? Somebody who's not in it just for the paycheck. Who's just committed to the money. You want somebody who is committed to the very lives and the heart of the people. And so when David said, the Lord, oh, can you imagine if that's how uh, good of a shepherd he was? When he says, the Lord is my shepherd. Hallelujah. Remember Jesus in John 10 is called the good shepherd of the sheep. And the good shepherd of the sheep distinguishes himself from all other shepherds by laying down his life for the sheep. He says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. And my sheep know my voice and they follow my voice. You ever follow that line of thinking all the way through going back to shepherding? If you get two shepherds that come together, they might want to sit and have coffee with each other and share a little bit about what's going on in their lives and all their sheep from the two different flocks will come together and they will mingle. Man, if we saw that, we'd probably just lose it. Come unglued right there. How in the world are we going to separate those sheep? They've all come together and they, you know, they look alike. It's not like they're different. <laughs> they look alike. But those shepherds aren't concerned about a thing. Man, they just sit back, have fellowship, talk for a while. Maybe an hour goes by. The sheep are grazing and all that. And they're just all there together. When all of a sudden, then the shepherd rises up and he just begins to walk away and he makes a sound. And he calls out to his sheep. And he continues walking. And as he walks away, all of his sheep follow him. The rest stay behind. He doesn't have to go through the herd and say, you're mine and you're not. You're mine and let's go. You're not. Don't you wish kids were like that too? <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Think about it. And so he said, the Lord is my shepherd. And Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. He takes a personal interest in them. I know them and they know me. They know I care for them. They know that I love them. I lay down my life for them. I have their best interest in mind. Oh, and I am committed completely, totally to the sheep. And he said, the Lord is my shepherd. You talk about commitment. I'll tell you what, praise God. And he goes on to say, based on our relationship and based on the commitment of the shepherd, he says, I shall not want. Whatever it is that I need, whatever it is that I want, the shepherd makes provisions for the sheep. Now, we don't say this with any disrespect whatsoever because we're all sheep. And we don't want to disrespect ourselves, now do we? But you know, sheep are considered to be among the dumbest 
dumbest creatures that God has made? Think about it. They are. They don't have any common sense whatsoever. And they'll just do whatever. But if they have a good shepherd, you see, they trust in the good shepherd to lead them where they need to go. See, they'll just go off and kill themselves. They have no understanding of what they should or should not do. Well, beloved, I want you to know that you have a good shepherd who is committed to you all the days of your life. His commitment runs so deep that he has your interests at heart. He is so concerned for you. He cares for you. He loves you. And it's a genuine concern, care, and love. He is interested in every phase and facet of your life. The Lord is your shepherd. And so you need not want. He is committed to providing all that you need, all that you want. And he delights himself in doing so. As a matter of fact, what blesses his heart is to see the sheep blessed. And if the sheep are blessed and cared for and provided for, he's blessed. Sounds like a good father to me, doesn't it? Man, when a father sees his children content, and when he sees them uh, taken care of, provided for, and living right, and enjoying a successful life, the father is content, and the father is blessed. Isn't that true? Fatherhood and motherhood, I'll tell you what, you know it's true. You want to see your kids well provided for and well taken care of and all that. And that is the very heart of the great shepherd and the chief shepherd and bishop of our souls. And he goes on to say, He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul and he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. I'm grouping this all together because what it does, it gives us a picture of rest and peace and contentment and tranquility and satisfaction and fulfillment and refreshing and restoration, doesn't it? That's the picture. That's the environment. Because the sheep follow the lead of the good, great chief shepherd and bishop of their souls, knowing that the shepherd leads them exactly where they need to be. If it's a green pasture, thank God. It doesn't matter what else is around. There's good grazing, praise God, in the green pasture. And we can rest and just lie down and rest, knowing that the good shepherd has provided the nourishment that we need. Thank God. If it means we need some waters of refreshing, thank God He leads us to the, to the coldest, clearest brook that we can drink from and be satisfied and be filled and be fooled overflowing. He satisfies the thirst of our lives until we're full and overflowing. He goes on to say that He, not only that, restores our soul. Is there some upheaval in your soul? Are your emotions trying to run rampant and wild and just rule and reign over your life? My goodness, just hook up to the shepherd. Just listen to the shepherd's voice. Just follow his lead wherever he is telling you to go. And you'll find what? He'll restore your soul. He'll bring it back to that place of peace and that place of calm and tranquility. And you'll know that all is well with your soul. He'll make you... To do what? He'll lead you in the paths of righteousness. In other words, He has the right way for your life. 
He has the right path that you are to take in this life. You look at it from the natural and you might think that is the worst path for me to take for my life. But the good shepherd knows it doesn't matter what's on one side of the road or the other side of the road. It doesn't matter how difficult that road looks, how bumpy that road looks, how many rocks or obstacles stand in the way between you and the end of that road. He knows it's the right road for your life and he'll lead you along the right path for your life for his own namesake. That's what he'll do for you. David knew that. And David understood that. And so when he found himself in a place of upheaval, he could encourage himself by saying, it doesn't matter what I think. His ways are higher than my ways. I'll walk in his way. I'll follow his path. I'll take the course that he has for me. I'll be obedient. And you know what? I'll create for myself an environment of rest and contentment and restoration and refreshing and peace and joy and laughter because I follow the good shepherd. But you know what? Even if as a saint we follow not the voice of the good shepherd and decide I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to follow the path that I think I should go in my life. You know what will happen? You'll create an environment, but it won't be an environment of peace. And God can't be held accountable for the environment that we create for ourselves just because we failed to follow the voice of the good shepherd. What is his strongest voice to all of our lives? It's found right here in the word of God. This is the way, walk ye in it, he says. Love your neighbors. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Even love your enemies. And you might think that's not the right way for my, my life. I'll tell you what it is. And the good shepherd knows if you'll do it, you'll create a, 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 an environment for your life that will just produce nothing but love and joy and peace and contentment and tranquility and restoration and refreshing all the days of your life. He goes on to say, In verse 4, And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And let's just take a moment to expound on that. He's not talking about when we die. I realize there may be a reference to about when a person dies and departs from this realm of life. But there's a whole lot more to that than just the fact that a person is going to die. I want you to know he is talking about the valleys at Palestine. I want you to know he's talking about there's hills and there are mountains on either side. But there's a valley where there's green pasture. You know, things grow in the valley and not up on the mountaintop that are needed to sustain life. And the waters flow down from the mountaintops into the valley where we have a brook or a river where we can drink from. Everything that we need is in the valley. But you know what? There's a problem. Because in the valley, there's also thieves. In the valley, there's wild beasts. In the valley, there's all kinds of of situations that can be detrimental to a person's life. But that's okay. That's okay because even though you've got to walk to the valley where the thieves are, where the robbers are, where the rocks are, where the, sometimes some, some holes are, obstacles are, and wild beasts and everything that might threaten your, your survival and your existence, there's no need to fear, praise God, because as you walk through this valley of the shadow of death, you know the good shepherd, he is with you. He is right by your side and he has got his staff and his rod and they are there to comfort you, to protect you, to care for you, to ward off all the enemies and all the wild beasts. And you don't have to even be concerned about what's out there. You know why? That's the job of the good shepherd. That's not your job. That's the job of the good shepherd. And the good shepherd is right there by your side. His rod is his word. His staff is his spirit. As you walk in the word, as you're led by the spirit, coming together by faith, praise God, you're walking with God. And he says, it doesn't matter what enemy comes up against you, praise God. There's no need to fear because the good shepherd, 
is right there with you in every shadow of death. Thank God for the good shepherd. He's encouraging himself. He's reminding himself. And then it goes on to say what? Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil and my cup runs over. I want you to know in the worst of all situations, I have infinite resources right there on the table. Hallelujah. We can have difficult situations of life, but he is saying this. He has invited you to the feast. And because you have a personal invitation from the shepherd himself, you belong there. And here's the idea. He anoints your head with oil because it was customary in the east that when a guest was invited to the host's house, he would come in and he would be anointed with oil as a refreshing to his life and also to identify him as someone who belongs there at the feast. And so he was recognized. But listen to this. Not only is he recognized there for the moment at the feast, this carries the, the connotation or the idea that this person that's been invited, it's not just he's invited to the one meal, he's invited for the duration. It's as if he's on a journey, he hooks up with the shepherd, and we're going through the valley of life together, and our end is Father's house. It's going to end up in Father's house on the other side. We've begun our journey together. You've hooked up with the great shepherd. He has set you apart, anointed you. You are his own. He identifies with you. And he says, come on, we're walking together through the valley of the shadow of death. And you know what? Do you need something? No matter what your situation is, look at the table. It's been prepared. You have infinite resources for your life and whatever you need, just feed on it. Hallelujah. The provision has already been made for your success. Glory be to God. So not only is he only there is, is, is someone who is with him for the day, he's with him for the duration. And it goes on to say, because you see, the whole thing culminates in what? The end is we're going to spend life together, eternity together in Father's house. Look at the next verse, verse 6. See, your cup is running over with this, 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 this fullness that God has provided for your life. And this is what David fed on. Look at surely. Everybody say surely. surely. Absolutely. Without any doubt whatsoever. It's, this is a surely thing. As sure as it can possibly be without any doubt whatsoever. Surely goodness means comfort and support that comes to us from the shepherd. Goodness means Kindness that's coming to us from the shepherd for how long? All the days of our life. Goodness and mercy is a covenant term that means God's loving kindness, God's endless love. Surely God's comfort, God's kindness, God's support, and surely, praise God, the love of God. Oh, thank God that His tender mercies are over all of His works. His steadfast love is over me all the days of my life. So it says, surely goodness, kindness, comfort, and also his steadfast love will follow me. And follow does not mean lag behind. Follow doesn't, doesn't mean, well, look, goodness and mercy are bringing up the rear. The word there is a strong word. It means vigorously pursue. Goodness and mercy are vigorously pursuing me all the days of my life until it pushes me into the house of the Lord forever. 
Oh, glory to God. I don't know what that does for you. I've got somebody pushing me from behind. You know, the Bible, not the Bible, but people say that behind every good man is a good woman pushing him into success. Well, you know what? You've got a, twins behind you pushing you, pursuing you vigorously all the days of your life. And they're called goodness and mercy. And they'll never forsake you all the days of your life. While you're, see, that's why you see it's not talking about death because it's talking about all the days of your life. So you're not dead yet. So when you're going through the valley of the shadow of death, all the days of your life, since you're hooked up with the great shepherd now, and you're sojourning through life right here, all the obstacles are there, all the enemies are there, but in the presence of all your enemies, and you know what that can mean, a twofold thing, it could mean that while all these enemies are out there on the outside just waiting to pounce on you, you're just partaking of all the good food on the table, and you're nourished of the Lord, and they can't touch you. Or it also means this, all your enemies have been defeated and they've been taken captive and they're right there in chains and fetters of iron and they're watching you eat. Hallelujah. You see that? And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'll tell you what, if you ever got down and discouraged... Just quote the 23rd Psalm, but do it not just like religiously. Just say, oh Lord, my Father, my Father relationship, you are my God, my great shepherd. You're committed to, I like that word, don't you? You know, in a marriage, the biggest word is not love, but commitment. Because when love fades, commitment doesn't. Love is still there. It may not be there. It may be at low ebb, but commitment. If you are a committed person, it means you have committed yourself totally to that person for the rest of your life. And it means whatever is the problem in the middle, fix it. Because you're basing your life and your marriage on commitment, not just feelings of love. You know he is committed to you whether or not you feel up or feel down, feel depressed or feel joyful. He is committed to you no matter how you feel when you rise up in the morning or you go to bed at night. I want you to know there is one who is your shepherd who is committed to you every single day of your life with all your imperfections, with all your faults and failures, and with all your good characteristics and qualities. He is right there committed to you all the days of your life. Hallelujah. Well, let's look at another fella. Can we do that? Go to, to uh, 1 Kings 19. And we'll make this quick. If you believe that. No, we will. In 1 Kings 19, here's another fella by the name of Elijah. Now, Elijah, when we think of Elijah, what do we think of? Fire. Coming down from heaven. The fireman. The original fireman. Elijah. You don't mess with Elijah. He calls fire out of heaven. Not just to burn up sacrifices, but to burn up men. Did you ever read about that? You can read about it in 2 Kings chapter 1. Listen. You think about fire coming out of heaven, burning up the sacrifice. You think about the one that mocked the prophets of Baal. You think about the one who prayed and the heavens were open and the rain was starting to come and then the one who girded up his loins people think 
You know, when you're under revival and the anointing of God comes on you, some might want to run around the church for a while, but I want you to know Elijah has you beat hands down. The anointing of God came on him. He gird up his loins. That means he got his, his little skirt and put it inside his belt. So it wouldn't hinder his running and movement with his legs. And when the anointing of God hit him, he outran the chariots and the horses of the king all for six miles. Six miles he ran. He outran the horses for six miles. Glory to God. That's pretty quick. We think about this great man of God with miracles and signs and wonders and demonstrations of God's mighty power and glory. And we can name the, the, the miracles that God did by his hands. We don't think about depression, do we? But look at chapter 19, verse 1. And Ahab told Jezebel, Jezebel's his wife, King Ahab told his wife, all that Elijah had done. Now, I per- personally, this, now don't, don't think I'm being dogmatic about this and don't, you know, just say it has to be thus and so because the pastor said so. I think that he outran Ahab to get back to the city so that he would report to Jezebel what really happened. Wasn't going to let somebody else tell her what happened. He had to make sure the right report got back to the city and that's why he ran back there so quickly. And... Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. And with all now he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Now you have to understand Jezebel had a great investment in all these prophets of Baal. See, she was not committed to God. She was committed to the enemy, to the devil. And she got the king to worship false gods. And she took him right out of the things of God. And this Baal worship is what she desired. You know why? Because Elijah to her was the prophet of doom and gloom. In actuality, he was a prophet of truth. And the fact was, the truth was hurting. He prophesied doom and gloom because they were disobedient and, and they didn't follow the plan of God. And so they didn't want that. They wanted a prophet who would say, Oh, queen, you are the fairest among them all. And, oh, king, you will live and reign and your kingdom will be forever and there'll be no end. And what you're doing is okay. God's accepting it. It's okay if you devil worship. He doesn't mind. See, they, had, they were false prophets. They just said what they wanted to hear. And Jezebel, she wanted to hear it. And so, Elijah just killed all of her prophets. 400 of them. Well, she's not happy. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me and more also if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree and said, It is enough. You know, I like to say it a better way. I've had enough. That's the way, really, I think in the NIV it might say it that way. I've had enough. I've had enough, O Lord, take... Away my life, I'm not better than my father's. Boy, wait a minute. What a low. It's just only a couple days earlier. Is this the same man of God that spoke 
to God and fire came down of heaven, burned up the sacrifice, prayed again, and the heavens opened up and the waters came down after three and a half years of drought. Is this the same man of God who mocked the prophets of Baal and said, where is your God? Why doesn't he hear? Why doesn't he answer? Maybe he's sleeping. Maybe he went out to lust. Maybe he went for a walk. It's the same prophet of God who now is facing Jezebel, the wife of the, of the king, King Ahab. And all of a sudden, he is full of fear and depression. Because she said, you are going to die. You want to make some notes? You know, the enemy knows that the, the, probably one of the best times or most opportune times to attack a child or a servant of God is after the high of a victory. And when the anointing of God has been so strong and you've been caught up in that glory and that anointing, did you ever notice that when the anointing lifts, you're just Bill? Oh, and when you're under it, though, it's like, I can run through a troop and leap over a wall. But when it lifts and the devil's woman comes along, Jezebel, that was his girlfriend, and says, Oh, man of God, tomorrow you'll be dead. Oh, he's afraid. And all of a sudden, he's depressed. Listen, he didn't just think it'd be a good idea to die. He's actually praying to die. It was a request. He said, oh God, I've had enough. Have you ever been there before? Let me die. Look at the attitude that he has. Look at the next verse, though. Verse 5. And as he lay... And slept under this juniper tree. Behold, an angel touched him and said unto him. He said a profound statement. Something so spectacularly supernatural. See, this is an angel sent from the presence of the Most High God. Who awakened Elijah out of sleep to give him this profound message. Get up and eat. Is that what it says? I like that angel. Don't you? Get up and eat. Let's look at this. Now, you've got to see Elijah. I mean, he's out of it. He's groggy and all that. And this angel wakes him up and he says, arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was a cake bacon on the coals. So the angel cooks as well. And a cruise of water... At his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. He got up and ate and went back to sleep. Wow. So, and the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said. Now, this is the second round. Arise and eat. Because the journey is too great for thee. So he arose. He did eat and drink. And let's stop right there. You know, sometimes we feel depressed or we have emotional upheaval because we haven't taken care of ourselves physically. And we haven't gotten enough rest. And that sometimes we're in a bad mood and we're irritable and maybe even depressed because we have neglected rest. We've neglected nutrition and nourishment. And we haven't really cared for the body as well as we should. 
But I mean this about the anointing. You know the worst time you can talk to someone who has proclaimed the truth of God's word from a pulpit or under the, a heavy anointing of God or ministered life to people is right after they get done ministering? Because, you see, they're operating in the spiritual realm with the power of God, the anointing of God. And once it lists, you know, they become very vulnerable and they may not have on their deflectors. And when a person comes and criticizes something that they said, are you saying don't criticize? No, I'm not saying that you can't talk to them about maybe something that maybe you disagreed with. But don't do it immediately. Wait till the anointing lifts and give them time to get back under control physically and emotionally. I know this. I'm probably the worst judge of myself right after I get done ministering a message. And that anointing, I mean, under it. You can just, like I said, run through a troop. You can leap over a wall. You can tame the, you know, the, the most wild lion. You, I mean, you can just, you can do it all, man, because the anointing of God is upon you. You cannot run the chariots and you can do all those different things because the anointing of God is all over you. But then it lifts. And like I said, you're just, uh-oh, just me. Whew. And then you start thinking about, oh, I, did I say this right? Should I have said that? How did I go? Maybe I should have said this. And, and someone comes along and just begins to, to you know, pour out some things. You're vulnerable at that time and you're drained at that time. And if you're not careful, like I said, you can do some things that, that can be hurtful and damaging. You don't want to do that. This is what happened to Elijah here. He came off the, fresh off the heels of a great victory. The power of God was all over him. Fire came out of heaven. All these miracles took place. It began to rain. He just ran six miles under the anointing of God. Boy, I wish they would have timed that. They, they talk about, you know, the, the, who, who ran the first four-minute mile. Are you kidding me? Go back and think he outran horses. Well, anyhow, what did Elijah do? Now, listen, there's one more thing. Arise and eat because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and he did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights unto Horeb, the Mount of God. You know how far that was? 200 miles. You ready for this? Now we got rest, food, and exercise. God sent him on a 200 mile hike. Over 200 miles. And if you go on reading it, when he got there and God spoke to him, he had to turn around and go back. You might want to think, why God? Did, why did you tell me halfway there? Because God wanted him to exercise. Do you know I feel good when I exercise? Even emotionally? How many of you know that? You'd be amazed at how many sermons I get jogging. Just jogging on a highway. And thoughts just come into the mind. It clears your mind. You feel good about yourself when you get some good rest, get some good nutrition, and some good exercise. You'll feel good. Emotionally as well. See, And God knew that. God didn't produce some profound thing by this angel. He just said, look, eat, drink, and go on a hike. And plus, 200 miles, you know, you can do a lot of meditation. 200 mile trek. (laughs) Think about it. And that's exactly what he did. And he went on the strength of that food for 40 days. It was a supernatural fast that he just went thinking about God after he was nourished and all that. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What doest thou here, Elijah? Can you imagine God meeting you? That's where he met Moses and speaking to him and saying, Now, Elijah, what are you doing here? And he said, Well, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. In other words, I've been really searching for you. 
For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thy altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left. And they seek my life to take it. Hey, did you notice his mood changed? He didn't say, I want to die for it. He didn't say, Lord, take me away. He didn't say, Lord, kill me and take my life. All of a sudden, he's adjusted. He's come out of his mood because of his nourishment, because of his rest, because of his exercise. And now he's got it all back together. And he starts speaking to God like he should. And he said, go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by in a great and strong wind rent the mountain and breaking pieces of the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake was a fire, but the Lord was not in a fire, and at the fire a still small voice. And it was so, when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering in of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with a sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And once again, he doesn't say, I don't want to live anymore. Kill me. Let me go home. He didn't say that. Look what the Lord does for him after he gets his rest, collects himself, gets out of his bad mood. Look look at what God does. He says, okay. And the Lord said unto him, go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. See, return. And when thou comest to Hazel, to to be, uh, anoint Hazel to be king over Syria, and Jehu, the son of of Nimshai, Thou shalt anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel, Abel, Meholam, whatever, Behola, and thou shalt anoint him to be prophet in thy room or in your place. Well, he went and did that. And you notice this? God did three things. He spoke to him and he began to demonstrate his mighty power before him once again. Secondly, he gives him direction, tells him exactly where to go and what to do. And are you ready for this last one? He gives him a friend. Someone to mentor. You know what? You can't get depressed when you're busy mentoring someone else. You're so caught up in teaching that person what you know. And you know, God knew you feed him and he'll feed you. I don't know about you, but every time I minister the word to somebody, I get fed. And I share truth with somebody, it feeds me. If we're talking about the things of God, I just get fed to to overflowing by listening to the word that's being spoken. See, God did those three things for him after he took care of himself. So how do we get out of a bad mood? Sometimes just get a good night's sleep. Have you ever, like I said, got up on the wrong side of the bed and your wife wish you hadn't? And she says, you probably need to go back to bed for a couple more hours and I'll make you a good breakfast. And then let's talk. God has the same philosophy. And see, God did it for Elijah. And as a result, he finished his course. He did exactly what God told him to do. And he was successful in carrying out the mission that God had for him. The latter part, he threw his mantle upon Elisha. Elisha took the mantle of Elijah. He took over his ministry of prophet and did twice as many miracles as as he had done. And you think about that. That's all to his credit as well, isn't it? The reward also goes over to Elijah, doesn't it? And you know, the, the, the anointing in Elisha's life, we know was twofold, twice as strong as the anointing was upon Elijah's life. And it was so, so powerful that when Elisha died, 
and they buried his body in a cave. When they got somebody else that they threw his body in, his body was probably still warm at the time, but they had to flee because they had to get out of that place. And they threw his body on the bones of Elisha the prophet and the anointing, the residue of the anointing was so powerfully manifested in his bones, the residue of it was still there and the man was raised from the dead when he hit the bones of Elisha. I need to think if those two would have just walked away from God at that moment. Now think about if Elijah didn't do what God said and go anoint Elisha or if Elisha would have said, well, well that sounds good, but I'm just going to go wait till I you know, do all these other things in my life first. Thank God that we can follow the plan the great shepherd has for our lives. And even in the midst of all the turmoil and all the difficulties and the highs and the lows that our feelings have just because of the problems we might encounter in life, it doesn't matter we have to be defeated. It doesn't mean we have to be defeated or overcome by our feelings because you're, you're not going to feel right every single day of your life. But you know what? You don't have to feel bad just because you feel bad. You can be like these others and just say like David did, the Lord is my shepherd. Man, if that doesn't spark a light in you, I don't know what will. Who's your shepherd? The Lord, Jehovah. Who's your good shepherd? Jesus. He is committed to you. He cares about you. And he will, all the days of your life, be right there for you. Never leave you, never forsake you, but to be there to uphold you and to help you and to bless you until you get all the way to the other side in his house forever. Let's stand together before the Lord. So before you argue, take a good nap, get in a good meal, get some exercise in, and then listen to the Lord as he speaks in a still small voice. Let him demonstrate his power and ability. Do what he says to do. You'll be out of your mood. You won't want to die. Elijah went from wanting to die to wanting to live. Didn't he? All because he had a good meal, a cake made by an angel, some good water to drink, like a good shepherd always provides, good grazing and good water. Something about a satisfied body, huh? Contentment, peace, tranquility. Isn't that wonderful? You've got a good shepherd. So no matter what you're facing in life at this hour, I want you to know you've got a good shepherd standing right by your side. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. You may think that you're at your lowest place in life, but remember, David, you can't get lower than that. I mean to tell you, you can't. And just run to God. Encourage yourself. How? Quote that 23rd Psalm. And don't do it religiously, like too often many do. Just say, man, Jesus, Lord, God, you are my, my personal shepherd. That's relationship. You know, in a relationship, there's what? Commitment. There's communication. There's love. Hey, I love this part of it. He knows you. Say it out to him. Jesus, you know me. And Jesus, I know you. Hallelujah. We're hooked up together. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I do this. I thank you, Lord, for being more committed to me than I am to you. Have you ever said that? Think about it. He's so committed to you. He's pushing you all the way. You see, we've got all these feelings to, to contend with and to deal with, but your shepherd, he is perfect toward you in his love, in his commitment, in his attitude, in his care, in his concern to protect you, 
to, to, to nourish you, to uphold you, to help you, to provide for you. Say with me, I'm following the lead of the Good Shepherd. As I do, I create an environment of peace, contentment, rest, restoration, refreshing, tranquility in my life. I hear the voice of the Good Shepherd. I know His voice. I will not follow the voice of a stranger. My Good Shepherd, my Chief Shepherd, is the Lord Jesus. My Great Shepherd never leaves me, never forsakes me, provides for me, cares for me, protects me, helps me, comes to assist me, and aid me in any time of need. I shall not want. My emotions may lie, but the Lord God will never lie. He is always truth. He's looking out for my best interest. Thank you, Father, for such love, such care, such concern, and such an interest in me, in my life. I love you for it. I'm committed to you as you are committed to me. And I will follow you all the days of my life. And I know, I don't think so, I know your goodness, your comfort, your kindness, your mercy, your great love will follow me all the days of my life. Vigorously pursue me every day of my life. And I will end up in the house of the Lord forever where I will live and reign with you throughout the eternal ages. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.